Welcome to Icons in the Making. I'm your host, Heather Stern, CMO at Lippincott, the creative consultancy behind some of the world's best brands. Join me as I sit down with the leaders of today's most influential brands. You'll hear stories of transformation and walk away with a new perspective on what it means to be an icon. This is Icons in the Making. Grit and vision. I can't think of two better words to describe today's iconic guest, Alice Milligan, Chief Marketing Officer of Morgan Stanley. Since the age of 19, Alice has paved her own way, putting herself through undergraduate and graduate school while working full-time at AT AT&T. From there, Alice moved on to prominent leadership roles at some of the world's leading brands, including American Express, Coach, and City. Now, as the CMO of Morgan Stanley, Alice is propelling the brand forward in new and innovative ways. I'm excited to sit down with this visionary leader to hear about her inspiring journey, how she's bringing inclusivity to financial services, her advice for other women in this space, and so much more. Welcome, Alice. Hey, thank you. Thank you for having me. Excited to be here. So I want to start by talking about your current role at Morgan Stanley. What was your remit when you took on the job? What has been the most challenging aspect of the role? And what are you most excited about as you kind of drive forward this evolution of the brand? Yeah. So when I started the role, I spent a good amount of time over the first 90 days doing research, talking to people across the firm about what was working, what wasn't working, and what they saw as the biggest opportunities to sort of factor that into what Andy, James, and I talked about, which was really thinking about a new strategy for the brand and managing marketing. So there were a couple of things within the firm that existed as I took on the role. First was we had a growth strategy that the leadership team had been putting in place for a number of years. Part of that strategy included blowing out the wealth management business and then, you know, acquiring firms like E-Trade and Eaton Vance that had broader, younger, different audiences than Core Morgan Stanley and great technologies and capabilities. And so part of that was a shift. And so as think in thinking about marketing and the brand, it was important also to shift those things to support the business. The second piece was as I did a lot of that interviewing and had those discussions, I saw there were a couple other opportunities. So if one was around solidifying a new brand strategy, the others were around data-driven decisioning, understanding the impact and results of marketing, looking at insights and building out a bit more of a customer discipline, and then finally people. Morgan Stanley had traditionally been a firm that was really sales-based or product-oriented and wanted to shift to more of a marketing customer-led focus. And so how do we attract the right talent? How do we make sure people have the right skills? How do we become the employer of choice for the next generation of marketers was all part of the remit and part of the work that I started when I took on this role. It's pretty expansive. And I think, as you mentioned, in many ways, a pivot from mm-hmm. from where the, the, the brand had been, the organization had been. How's it going? And what have you been most excited about in terms of this journey that you and the company have been on? I think it's been going great. 
One, we spent a lot of time on the brand strategy and refining that and developing that, thinking through how we create this house of brands now that we had Morgan Stanley and E-Trade, Eaton Vance and others. And then worked with Lippincott to develop the strategy, which we did a tremendous amount of research, both internally and externally. We did benchmarking. We looked at the industry. We looked outside of the industry and really felt like we came up with a strategy that encapsulated what was special about Morgan Stanley and what was really a competitive differentiator for us, this, this concept of the collaborative advantage. Once we got to that point, It was really about selling it into the organization and making sure we brought people along the way. And I remember when I took on this role, I spoke to another CMO, and they said one of the most important things they did when they first started to look at the brand and the strategy was to ensure that they engaged the stakeholders. So we set up steering committees with senior executives in the, you know, on the operating committee and management committees. We did stakeholder groups with international stakeholders and product stakeholders and marketing and communication stakeholders so that we could bring people along the way with what we were doing with the strategy. And then ultimately, everybody was excited about that. We sort of moved into the creative platform and execution, which was old school grit, new world ideas. And we've been really pleasantly surprised with the positive sentiment around that. We sort of knew it would be a good thing because of all the work and research we did behind the scenes. But I think it far exceeded our expectations in terms of employee engagement and sense of pride and willingness to be advocates for the brand. I think that is such a huge accomplishment. And congratulations on the campaign. I think it's been so well received. And very different from what you see out there in terms of the category. But the fact that it has had such a positive influence on the internal employee base, I think is huge. How did you kind of introduce it to the organization? And what did you ask of the organization in terms of embracing it? Yeah, I think the first thing was just the gathering of information. We spent so much time talking to people. And what we got from a lot of the employees, one, Morgan Stanley has an amazing culture. It's a culture of collaboration. It's a culture that values diversity and different ideas. And that came through as we talked to the team. The second was really around the fact that people were proud and were were highly tenured in terms of how long they've worked for the firm. And so this concept of experience legacy, you know, having been through the ups and downs, perseverance, hard work. You always had a story when I talked to different employees of how they've overcome something on behalf of a client or the difficult times that they weathered the storm through. And so that concept of legacy and experience was important. And then as we started to talk to a broader group within the firm, yet a, a number of new people, you know, who came like myself through E-Trade and Eat and Vance. And that was really about innovation and vision and technology and sort of new world thinking. And so when we put those things together, it was almost a no-brainer when you get to, you know, old school grit, recognizing that legacy and new world ideas, you know, despite having that legacy and that experience, we still see the world with the wonder of new eyes. And so we knew that 
was something that would resonate because of the conversations we had. And we, we basically built it off of what employees and what clients were saying about us. But when we launched it, the number of views on our internal website of the page of the ads going to our Why Us page, which was the digital experience, far exceeded our expectations. The comments, you know, there was a memo from Andy Saperstein, who's a co-president of the firm, to announce it. And there was, you know, hundreds of responses under his memo that just said, I feel so proud to work for the firm. I love this calling out the tagline, calling out elements of the ad. We knew it would work, but it worked, exceeded our expectations in terms of reception. I think so much of that has to do with first the the ground that you laid for bringing people along, but the fact that there's an authenticity to it. Mm-hmm. You know, as you said, it's built from who you are, where you've been, where you're going. And I loved that everybody can see themselves in it, right? Because there is that heritage and that legacy and that experience, but also the innovation. Um, And you had mentioned E-Trade. So you were the chief customer officer at E-Trade. And prior to that, the chief digital client experience officer at Citi. Yes. Talk to me about the intersection of digital and humanity and why it's something that you think sets Morgan Stanley apart. Yeah. One of the things that's been interesting in my career, so my degrees in study were in marketing. And I spent a number of years throughout my career in human resources and operations and product, you know, across the gamut, just trying to get the right experiences. And then the latter part, I spent a lot of time in operations and technology and marketing. And those things I found were um, really critical to success, especially as I think about my current role and whether it was at City or E-Trade, understanding sort of how things work or the, or the operations area and how humans interact with clients was important. Understanding sort of the backbone, the infrastructure and how we bring those things to a client, the whole technology piece was important. And then ultimately from a marketing perspective, how does it feel What do we say? How do we show that up or show up to the client was really important as well. And so those experiences, I think, prepped me for this role and sort of gave me a unique experience. Then I think within that, as I think about Morgan Stanley and what we're doing there in the firm and how we've sort of brought it to life or brought it to market for our clients, it's been really important having sort of that background and that expertise coming from E-Trade and that more technology-savvy, technology-forward company. Now where we are, though, is is really looking at broadening our appeal and appealing to a new generation of consumer. Those consumers interact differently. What's interesting, though, in, in all the research we've done, and we spent a lot of time talking to clients and prospects, Even though somebody may be extremely digital savvy or a digital native, their channel of choice or their interaction of choice may be social media or other things. Everybody still, when there is a point where there is confusion, something really critical, a key milestone like, you know, a death, a uh, baby being born, a you know purchase of a new home, they do want to talk to somebody. Mm-hmm. And so I think what's been nice about Morgan Stanley is that our 
strategy is to interact with you in the way you want to be interacted with at the right time. And that can be through any channel or through a person where many of the time in some of my other firms, digital was really about reduction of cost Mm -hmm. and taking cost out of the business. And so the strategy was always around moving people from human interaction and phones and retail branches to digital, where Morgan Stanley is a bit more focused on saying, hey, we'll interact with you and we'll help guide you in the way you want to be guided, whether that's self-directed or with a private wealth manager investment banker or financial advisor. Yeah, I mean, I think it speaks to the fact that so much of the work that you've done around the brand has been putting the human, the the person Mm -hmm. at the center. And as you said, you know, certainly though, digital transformation and cost cutting or being more efficient is part of it. It's really how do we meet them where they're at? And I imagine so much of what you're hearing and seeing in terms of the data then requires you to kind of put on the hats that you've worn in the past, mm-hmm. HR, product, operations, and galvanize and bring people along to to make meaningful changes. Yeah. Is that challenging? Have you found it different here than in other places? Because, you know, we talk about how ideally marketing and brand can kind of bring the different silos together, but it's sometimes easier said than done. Yeah. You know, I think the challenges that I've faced are probably less around some of the aspects that you mentioned in terms of the organization and functions. And the challenges have been more around just getting people to understand what marketing is and what Mm -hmm. it brings to the table. When you're in a culture that's been based on sales, face-to-face interactions with clients, an advised type of relationship, it's very different than appealing to a broader base more of a mass, although we're not you know, necessarily a mass marketer, but more of a mass in mm-hmm. terms of who you're trying to communicate to. If your client base is traditionally a bit older, you know, skews male, et cetera, there's a lot of history there that when you think about it from a marketing perspective, a lot of the challenges were around explaining to people how to communicate to a broader group of audiences, why that emotional connection and appeal is important. Because when you're doing something face-to-face, it's very easy to get that emotional connection because you click with the individual versus when you're doing it through an ad or through digital media or through even print in some instances. And so sharing the importance of that with people, taking data and information to show them what's the result, like how do you measure success and Why is it important for people to be aware of your brand and to be familiar with your brand and to have a favorable attitude around your brand? And how do you measure that? And then after working through some of those details, it was really about how do we then reflect that diversity, that broader audience in the advertising and the work that we do. So people start to get an understanding of those core values we as a firm have held so tightly to. And giving back to the community, diversity, inclusion were always values. 
But I think Morgan Stanley had more of the, you know, sort of we just do the right thing and Mm -hmm. people will know about it. And part of my, you know, journey has been to say it's not just what you do. It's who knows what you do. And if we're not telling our story, someone else will tell it for us. So let's work on the narrative and make sure we're telling it to the right people in the right places. And it goes back to the talent brand, too. Right. I mean, I think that is something that is top of everybody's minds and how to appeal to the the next generation of leaders. How much are you collaborating with HR directly on that? How do you see the work that you're doing really directly influencing recruiting, retention, mm-hmm. culture shaping? Yeah. So uh, we work really closely with HR along with the businesses, human resources, and we have another group that's called Corporate Services. And that is the group that does all of our real estate and planning out our offices and what they look like and what types of technology and capability will be there. Those two groups are really critical partners for us Mm -hmm. because as we think about attracting new employees and, and talent to the organization, sort of the space, the capabilities, the technology that they work in, the access that they have remotely, the flexibility, those are really critical components. And so that corporate services team is is really important. And in the ad that we did, our Anthem spot, it shows our trading floor, which was part of this big reimagined real estate initiative that the corporate services team was doing. So we made sure we're reflecting that in the advertising in the campaign that we did. In terms of human resources and talent acquisition, that's been a really great partnership. And it's been important because we're all not just employees of the firm. Most times you're a client of the firm, Mm -hmm. you know someone who's a client of the firm. And so there's a lot of back and forth between those relationships. And we want to make sure that the firm creates that emotional connection and is relatable across the board. So it was funny because when we launched the ad and everything went live, I got a email from the head of our talent acquisition. And she was like, this is amazing. It's going to go a long way in terms of attracting younger next-gen talent to the firm and our next generation of leaders. And she cited one of the lines from towards the end of the ad that was, um, grit and vision puts you on the path to your full potential. Mm. And she thought that was, you know, like perfect to think about people who would consider Morgan Stanley as a place to work, that's what we're all about. And that collaboration and that grit and that vision really helps people reach that potential. And so I think it's it's an important balance. You talked about real estate and the physical spaces and the access to technology and collaboration. Mm-hmm. I think there's an ongoing discussion amongst brands and businesses what post-COVID work looks like. Tell me about how you've tackled that Mm -hmm. either within your organization or the broader firm and what you're learning in terms of bringing people back together and collaborating. You know, for my organization, we have people who come into the office anywhere from three three to four days a week. It really does vary based on your role the level of collaboration you need on a daily basis, as well as whether or not you have client interactions and Mm -hmm. things like that. 
our environment is a shared space, so there's not dedicated space. You can hop onto any sort of desk, cubicle, mm -hmm. et cetera. And so there's not always a one-to-one -one relationship in terms of availability of space. So right. we have to be cautious of that as well. I feel like we've gotten to a place where there's a good amount of comfort with whether you're interacting face-to-face -face and having meetings face-to-face -face, as well as Zoom and doing things digitally. I found there's pros and cons for both. With the video, everybody's name's up there. So, yes. you know, if you're not great with names, <laughs> it helps you. Um, there's a different etiquette. So sometimes at meetings, um, especially when you're thinking about diversity and inclusion as a leader, sometimes at meetings, it's hard for people who are maybe more introverted or who are more junior to get their voice heard yes, uh, because people tend to talk over each other. They get really enthusiastic. There's a lot of like on the fly collaboration, which is part of the benefit. But when you're doing a Zoom call, there's an etiquette where each person says their piece. You sort of go around the screen yeah. or the grid. And so I think that's been helpful in terms of making sure everybody's engaging in the conversation. And you're more, it's more top of mind to make sure that happens. I think the hybrid scenario is where we'll probably stay. Yeah. I was just at a friend's 50th birthday party. It was a surprise party. And there was a whole table of us who had all worked together at American Express. Some of us worked together at American Express and at City. But when we looked back, all of us had known each other, been friends, been around each other in the same industry for over 20 years. Wow. And I do believe that it probably would not have been that lasting, that deep, that type of a friendship and relationship if we hadn't had any interaction like physically right. and collaborated in the office and had lunches and had drinks and, and did the things you do when you're face-to-face. -face. So I do think to have a strong career and build lasting relationships, you do need that face-to-face -face element. Yeah. And I think that that's ultimately what people want. I mean, I think yeah. they say flexibility and the ability to maybe work from home more than maybe their employer would like. But I think they forget that really this is what we do so much of our lives yeah. and to be able to build those relationships and those connections and have them be lasting. Collaborative advantage, um, mm -hmm. which is something obviously that's core to the brand. You've had some really cool and unique partnerships of late. Yeah. From the recently announced partnership with the Women's Tennis Association to Rebecca Minkoff's Banker Bag 2.0. How do you approach collaborations? What do you look for in a partner? So that's been a really important part of our strategy, especially as we think about today's consumer. They're focused on doing business with companies mm. that share similar values. And I do believe that brands do well when they do good for the world. And when when that good is consistent with the values of the consumers that they're trying to serve and to work with. So that's been a really important element of what we do. The other thing is, you know, in financial services overall, it's been an industry, I think, that's been beleaguered for many years with certain things around diversity, whether that's gender diversity, racial, ethnic diversity, and just sort of ensuring that everybody has a fair chance and is able to bring their best selves to work and to succeed. And so the firm has had 
those values around diversity and inclusion, giving back to the community as core elements of our values for a long time. And so I wanted to really bring those things to life. So the first cut when we look at it is saying, is this partner or is this sponsorship or ambassador we're going into, do they share consistent values with the firm? Do they give back? You know, do they uh, value diversity? Do they represent diversity? Do they talk about diversity? Are they involved in diversity and those types of things? And so that's sort of the first lens. The next is, is it something that appeals to our clients Mm. or people we would like to be our clients. And so, you know, as we looked at some partnerships that you mentioned, Women's Tennis Association, that's something that has a long, long history of diversity and inclusion and valuing those things um, and has done a tremendous amount of work in terms of women's pay equity in sports and a whole bunch of other things. Their working with us was consistent with our values as well. But then we know that people of all generations watch women's tennis. It tends to skew a bit higher in terms of household income, which again is appealing to um, financial services firm. But there's diversity in terms of the audience. Um, you know, if you think about people who have been successful in tennis recently, Serena Williams, and in history, Billie Jean yep. King, it, it really has a wonderful appeal. And so as we looked at that, that was important. Do they give back to the community? So the partnership that we created with WTA has a whole element called Come Play, which is all around helping girls and communities that may be underserved get equipment, get coaching, get education, get involved in the game of tennis so that they can sort of build those leadership skills and be the next leaders in their generation. And that was really important. So after we do more of the, what's, is it the right fit? Does it match our values? Does it have, you know, people who are our clients or we would want to be our clients engaged? Does it represent diversity? Then we look at some of the things like, you know, how many people actually watch? What channels is it shown on? So more of the nitty gritty in terms of the marketing fit around viewership and, you know, impressions and, you know, how our brand will be out there. But that's sometimes the first thing that people look at, right? And I think that that's in and of itself speaks volumes to Mm -hmm. what you value as as a brand and as a business. Yep. So speaking of inclusion, diversity, you know, the financial industry has been historically male-dominated. Yep. You've said that you see it as your responsibility to mentor and develop future leaders of the company, especially Mm -hmm. younger women. Talk to me about this, maybe about what your journey had been in the space and growing up in the space and kind of what you offer as advice to those who see you and say, gosh, I want to be her one day. Yeah. And it's funny because a lot of times people will ask, who inspires you, et cetera. And, And one of the things that I always say is a lot of times the people that inspire me are the people I interact with every day. And and what you don't always think about is everyone's overcoming challenges. Everyone's got something that they're dealing with that maybe you don't know about, but they're overcoming that. They're doing something great in terms of their own life or their own work or their own experience. They're doing things despite being afraid um, and overcoming those things. And so um, that's really important to me. And as I think about my own career, then giving back is important because hopefully I'm inspiring 
people who are going to come after me. And I do think that it's part of all of our jobs as leaders to sort of help bring up the next generation of leaders to do more, to do better, to do bigger than we do. And so that's always been a really important part of what I've what I've done. Um, I would say in financial services, I tend to have a very different background, which will be one of my um, key pointers, but it took me a long time to embrace that. So when I started out, you know, as you mentioned, I uh, left home when I was 19. I went to school all at night uh, while working full time. Um, How long did that take? That took over a decade. Wow. Uh, it's somewhere between 12 and 13 years by the time I was done. And there were a couple of things I I learned throughout that. One was to be the CEO of my own calendar. Mm. And that was something somebody said to me early on in my career, but was very true. One of the most precious resources you have, and sometimes one of the only ones you can control, is how you spend your time. Yeah. And going to school at night while working full time really taught you, you know, how to prioritize what are the 20% of things that are really important that are going to have the 80% of impact on results and get rid of the rest. And so I've spent a lot of time thinking about my calendar, making sure I know what meetings I'm going to, going to, why am I going to those meetings, what decisions will be made, and whether or not there are things I could be delegating or should be delegating or should be canceling. The next thing I would say is as I went through a number of different roles, so I started out as an executive assistant. While I was going to school, then I got promoted into management, and I was in human resources and then product and sales and marketing. And the thing I learned there is it was easy and important early on in my career to experiment with different types of roles to get a sense of what I really wanted to do, learn about what I was good at, what I liked doing. You know, to your earlier point, you spend so much time at work, you really should enjoy what you're mm-hmm. doing day to day. And so as I did that experimentation, took on those different roles and started to understand the things that I love to do, I started to really believe in that philosophy that you should play to your strengths. You always want to take a role where you're developing and growing. But I've really focused on taking roles where maybe 70% of what I'm doing are things that I really love and know I'm good at, know I can contribute in. And then the other 30% are more the stretches, whether it's you know increasing responsibility or broader teams or new content, so that I'm feeling good and on top of my game yeah. while learning. I think that's such a great piece of advice because I think sometimes there's a pressure to say, you know, you have to be uncomfortable all the time or mm-hmm. else you're not, you know, it's it's not going to be valuable or you're not going to grow. But to recognize that part of loving what you do is feeling a certain mastery of it. Mm-hmm. And I think it's also a reminder, though, I think many listeners and those that work with you would say, well, there's nothing more for you. You know, you, you've made it. Like, what else do you need to work on? And, and that you're, it's a reminder of we always kind of have things that we need to work on or that we want to stretch ourselves. And so I just think that's, that's very refreshing. Yeah. And I think, you know, curiosity and learning comes in many different forms. I've been in marketing and digital for years. You can never learn all there is to learn in that space. Yeah. And even though I may be good at it, 
I'm always learning new technologies and new ways people are interacting, new things that are important, or even my own leadership style and sort of, you know, how do I take myself to the next level? So I think always learning, always being curious is, is an element of being successful. And the other thing I would say to young people nowadays, which took me a while to feel comfortable with, is I spent a lot of time early on in my career looking at what made successful people successful mm -hmm. in my field and trying to do the same thing. And what I learned was it's more important to lean into what makes you different than it is to figure out how you can be the same. What great leaders are looking for are people on their team that bring a new perspective, that bring a different thought process, that raise different questions because ultimately the product, the service, the marketing will be better because of all those ideas. If you're all trying to think about and, and reflect the same thing, it's not going to be of the same quality. And it wasn't until I started to say, hey, you know, what makes me different is I'm always thinking about the client. Mm -hmm. um, I understand the client and what motivates them. I don't, you know, maybe have the same background as many of my peers in financial services. So I come at it differently. And I, I ask maybe questions that seem simple, but they're the questions that everyone else is asking. Yeah. When I started to do that was when I started seeing my career take off and get promoted and people listen to what I say in different meetings. That's fantastic. What are you curious about now? I mean, as you said, you're, you know, and there's no shortage of things to continue to learn, and particularly in the technology space. But what's right now something that you're digging into or you're curious about? Yeah. You know, I think coming out of the pandemic has changed everybody. Yeah. And so one of the things I've been spending time on now is really just understanding that transition and the emotional toll that it's taken on people and what that means in terms of leadership, what that means in terms of work and what people view as whether it's, whether you call it work-life balance or work-life integration or whatever the term you use today. But I'm spending a lot of time thinking through what you might view as the softer skills of leadership, the emotional intelligence, the empathy, understanding people, and having those discussions and dialogues. Mm -hmm. Because I think for so long, pre-COVID, everyone was so hard charging that, you know, pandemic and the quarantine and resulting time period gave us all a a moment to take a step back. Yes. And now people want different things. And so as a leader, understanding what those things are, understanding how we balance them and, and help people reach their full potential, drive results for the firm in a new world, leveraging different technologies has been interesting. And yes. I'm learning a lot from different leaders and who's doing it well and who's not doing it well. Who do you turn to either in the organization or outside the organization, given the the level and the success and the mastery that, that you have when you're struggling with something or, you know, you're trying to, to crack a code on something? Yeah. You know, it depends. And a lot of times it's situational yeah. and you can get so much learning from so many different places. You know, example for me is a lot of times, you know, a mentor and somebody I get a lot of great advice for from is my husband, David, who um, I've been married to for 25 years, but we're almost, you know, we're an example of opposites attract. Mm -hmm. I'm an introvert. He is, you know, the ultimate extrovert. 
if you go around our neighborhood, you know, everyone's like, knows Dave and Max, and Max is our, our dog that he walks, and nobody knows who I am. <laughs> um, and he's um, an optimist. So if somebody hears, you know, 1% of things could go wrong, you know, he hears 99% can go right, I hear 1% could go wrong, and I'm planning for that. And yeah. so a lot of times if I'm facing a challenge and a relationship-based challenge that I'm trying to work through, I'll talk to him because I know he'll always have the opposite of perspective from me and he's always got some great insights. I've got a huge network now. Um, I think that's important, keeping in touch with your network. You know, even if it's something simple like, you know, just a text here and there to stay connected with people, but people are always willing to share their time and their insights. And so, you know, I'll reach out across industries to people in different places as well. That's fantastic. You've achieved a lot in not a long period of time in this role. Where to next? Yeah. I think we're just at the beginning, uh, which is exciting. We have, you know, the second half of this this year, we'll continue to refresh and do more around the campaign that we just launched. We're looking at some interesting activations that will be innovative and exciting and sort of some physical presence type elements like we did last year. We did this activation called Creating Space, Mm -hmm. um, where we had worked with a number of female designers to design a and create a prototype spacesuit. That would be uh, more forgiving and more accommodating for women and small and people of smaller stature in space. And that included an augmented reality piece, an element where people could kind of go and get their face on our Times Square signage in the spacesuit. So it was really fun, yes. exciting, and people got engaged and it went uh, a bit viral in some of the social media channels. And so we're looking to do some more like that. I think the other piece is Morgan Stanley is a global firm. And so a lot of the work in the past has really been focused on the U.S. Mm -hmm. Um, With the launch of this campaign, we really wanted to bring that globality to life. And we're seeing fantastic reception from um, our counterparts and our employees in global markets. So we're doing a lot to say, how can we leverage this in social channels? How can we attract talent to the firm internationally? And so you'll see more of that as well. Can't wait. And, you know, for us, seeing the campaign and the work out in the world, right, it's not about set of words that are on a slide that never go anywhere, but actually the intentions and the actions of a brand. And so mm-hmm. um, we're very excited to see what what comes next. Icons in the Making is the name of the the podcast. And, and part of that was the recognition both of looking at brands as icons that continually have to evolve and leaders yeah. as icons. Who is your icon? So I have a lot of icons. From the everyday person that I interact with and women that I interact with and men that I interact with on my job to very famous. And so this question is really timely because I just flipped my icon this past week. Okay. Um, And so my new icon that I've been talking a lot about is Billie Jean King. Mm. And so as part of the partnership with the WTA, uh, as we got involved This year is the 50th anniversary of the founding of the WTA by uh, Billie Jean King and eight other tennis players at the time. They call them the original nine. It's also the 50th anniversary of the Battle of the Sexes. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And so we had her as the kickoff to um, Women's History Month. We had her come and do a fireside chat with Layla Fernandez and myself. And I just found her to be an amazing person. So many of us in different fields have accomplished a lot. There are few that have not just accomplished a lot for themselves, but also for the world. You know, I asked her a question about, you know, barriers she's overcome and and some of the things she's achieved. And one of the things she says is, you know, if I think about me, if you just flip that M and turns into a W and it's about we. Mm. Um, And so her spirit of just trying to do things beyond herself, whether that was when she started doing things for women later on in her career and as things evolved, um, looking at equity looking at ageism now as she Mm -hmm. reaches 80, which I was also amazed because I'm like, she's 80 years old doing this fireside chat, what she remembers, the history she knows, what she's talking about and how current she stays in talking about social media and her engagement there. It's really incredible. And she said something that really resonated with me. When they first started the WTA and this group of women got together, They really created a vision, right? They wanted to do something that enabled them to make a living in a space that they loved that didn't exist. And they were all at a point in their career where they had a lot to risk. They were either just starting out or in the prime of their career, and they knew if it didn't work, they would sort of be blackballed. And so they were willing to take this risk at a really critical time to move forward. And she said they put together basically three key things that really drove everything they did. The first was that a girl who had the ability was able to compete no matter who she was. Mm. That was like a founding principle. The second is that women would be valued for their athletic competence, not just their looks. Yes which was incredible. And then the third was that they could make a living at what they loved. Yes. And if you think about the lessons there, one, just beyond the impact it had in sports and in women's leadership and on the world ultimately, the idea of just having a really clear goal, three core guiding principles that you're all true to, and a group of people rallied around those things, you can sort of change the world. And that in its you know, basics is what we try and do every day um, in the business world and corporate America and and all the places that I've played. So I've I've just learned a lot about her. She's just a wonderful person. Yeah, I similarly have been reading a lot about her. And there's this great exhibit at the New York Historical Society dedicated to women's leadership. And as you said, it's lessons that we can kind of carry with us. Um, And I will say that, you know, you've had a lot of lessons today that certainly I've taken and I know our listeners have. And I'm just so excited about this journey that you're on, the brand is on, and that we're on with you. And I um, just want to thank you so much for spending time with me in person. Yes, and thank we'll you for look having forward me. forward to seeing how things evolve. Thanks for tuning in. If you liked what you heard, share with your colleagues and friends and subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen. And if you're feeling really generous, leave us a five-star rating. Thanks, and I'll see you next time. Thank you.